0: Joshua, we got here really fast, right? We're like three messages into this series, and, and we're already at the edge of the, the Jordan. It could seem like, wow, we're already here, but all of this stuff has happened to get us here, and the, the magnitude of this moment isn't realized if you just think, oh, we just kind of stepped right into it, but 40 years they've been wandering in the wilderness. I mean, they, remember, they came up to this edge once before, and they they shrank back. They didn't step out like they needed to. They didn't show up like they needed to that first time. And so there's 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness because and there was slavery in Egypt before that. And all of that's built up to this moment that, that could seem like it got here in a hurry. It's, it's kind of like if you're planning something you're excited about and you plan and you put all the details together. And then it comes and it's like, wow, that was, it's over all right? Are you saved for something? Are you saving up for a trip or you're saving for a car, or down payment on a house, and weeks, months, years, you're putting money aside, and money aside. And there's a moment you sign the document and it's all the money's gone, right? And it's phew, wow, that was that went fast, but it wasn't fast. It, it, that moment was fast, but everything that built up to it took a long time. It's graduation season, right? If you've graduated, you know the walk across that stage is short like the ceremony's short and you you get done and you think man it's it's over that went by fast but it was years of tests and papers and homework and tardies and and detention and all you know there's all this stuff that went into getting there and, and that's kind of the way it is when we get to the jordan it's like okay we're here we're, we're here and all the stuff that got us here's has already happened, and they're looking across, and they can see into the promised land. And that's where Joshua 3 opens up, early in the morning. Which, by the way, that's not just giving us a commentary on what time of day it was. We're going to see this phrase several more times in the book of Joshua, and every time it appears it's not so we'll know what time of day they started, even though it indicates what time of day. But, but it doesn't just mean 6 a.m. or, or 8 a.m. Or, or whatever early in the morning means to you. Crack a noon or whatever, like early in the morning. I don't know what early in the morning is for you, but sun up. I, it, it's not just saying they started at 5.30. It's saying they did this first. And this is, this is important. When it comes to obeying God, the only right approach is early in the morning, right? Not time-wise, priority-wise. This is first in my life. I'm going to do it as soon as I can. Joshua told the people, you remember, from two weeks ago, three days and we're moving out. Three days and we're out of here. So three days pass, and when did they move out? First thing. Immediate, early obedience. It's, it, here, here are the principles of obedience that the Bible talks about. It's the principle that delayed obedience is disobedience and incomplete obedience is disobedience. I mean, there's only one way to obey immediately and fully. Delayed obedience is disobedience. This is not a commentary on your parenting strategies, but God's not in heaven going, one, Don't let me get to three. This is not how God works. God says, obey. Now, you either do it or you disobey. It's either early in the morning. It's either now. You either stop because I said stop. You either go because I said go or you disobey. Those are the options. And so we find this phrase several times in Joshua, early in the morning. First thing, priority of the heart is... I'm going to obey, which which forces us to kind of look in the mirror and ask ourselves, how do I respond to the commands of God? When God tells me to do something, do I obey immediately and do I obey fully? In other words, if somebody's writing your story, writing your spiritual story, like there's a, a scribe following you around, are they starting paragraphs in your life with, early in the morning, she did it. Early in the morning, he did what God told him to do. For priority of their heart was, I'm going to obey. And this, this theme of obedience we're going to see throughout Joshua, <clears throat> I, I, I understand that o- obedience is a continual process in our lives. Right? We're, we're not perfect yet, we're, but we're also not comfortable in our imperfections either. I mean, there's a difference in realizing I'm not perfect and then being okay with staying where I am not being perfect. I mean, the spiritual life is a continual walk towards obedience, right? It's not an arrive. We don't arrive there and like, okay, I obey God in everything. We, we all still have struggles and we, we fail in our life. But what we don't do is we don't stop in the middle of our fail, failures and go, oh, that's just me. The spiritual life, after we come to faith, is this constant, continual walk in the direction of obedience. So early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, and I'm, I'm glad they're moving out of there so I don't have to keep dancing around that word, and went to the Jordan where they camp before crossing over. So Joshua says, three days we're moving out, three days go by, early in the morning. They move out, and then they get to the Jordan River, and there's three more days at the Jordan River. Because the next verse says, after three days, they're at the Jordan. After three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Bunch of stuff there. We, we come across, for the first time in Joshua, we come across this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Some of you know about it, some of you don't. It's a box. It's, it's a box that God told Moses to build. It's an ornate box, but it's a box. And He told him to put three specific things inside the box. And this box, this Ark doesn't just represent the presence of God to the people it to them it is the presence of God it was placed in the most holy of places when they were camping in the in the wilderness it was a place called the holy of holies they put this box and they knew God's there not just God's there God's with us that means God is here and so the ark was the representation and the actual presence of God in their midst. So here's the principle in Joshua of the ark and the role that it plays. It's this idea of when God moves, you move. And when God stays, you stay. The ark of the covenant is in front. You're going to put it out front. You're not to get ahead of it. You're not to go in your own direction. You're to follow behind God. And whenever God moves, then you move. And whenever God stays, then you stay because God's in charge. God's leading, which is, which is a great way to live, right? It's a great way to be a church. Right? That's what we want to be is, God, when you move, we, we're moving. When you stay, we're staying. When you turn right, we're turning right. When you turn left, we're turning left because you're in front of us, and we're keeping our eyes on you, and we're going to follow you. So it's, it's the presence of God leading them, but there's something else right at the end of verse 4. This warning, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. So so there's this juxtaposition of presence of God, power of God. Presence of God, he's close. Power of God, don't treat him casually though. Don't, Don't forget that he's God. Like, don't forget... That he's leading you, but you need to be in awe of him. Don't forget, most of all, that you're not him. You're not God. God's up there, and, and, and he's present, he's close, but he's mighty too. He's strong, he's holy, he's powerful. So, so keep these two in balance in your life, the presence, nearness of God. Je- Jesus said you can refer to him as your father, as your, as your dad. The Old Testament paints him as a loving father or even at times a caring mother. That's, that's what he's like. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to call you friends now. So I don't call you servants, I'm calling you friends. So there's this beautiful picture of God's nearness and presence, but there's always this idea that God's powerful. Don't be cavalier. Don't be casual in how you think of, treat, relate to, talk to God. Don't think that you get to tell God what to do. It doesn't work that way. God's presence is near, but with God's presence comes God's power. Be careful how close you get. Be be careful to have this sense of respect and awe. When it comes to God, verse 5. So Joshua told the people, in light of this maybe, in light of who God is, who we're following, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves. Get your life right. Like, deal with you. Deal with your heart Deal with your sin. Look, we are following a powerful God who chooses to come near to us. Let's put our life in the right place in relationship to Him. Let's get our heart in the right place since God is the one leading us. Look inward. We talked about obedience. That's, that's what He's saying. Like clean, clean up the stuff in your life consecrate. It's the, it's the idea of setting apart for God. Look, get your life focused in on God, tuned in on God. Get distractions out of the way. Get sin out of the way. And I, I think this is think this is part of how we know where to go when we don't know where to go. That's what he says. Like you're going to have to follow God because you've never been this way. You don't know where to go, and a part of knowing where to go when we don't know where to go is to make sure my my heart's clean, so I'm hearing from God. Right? Make sure sins confessed and, and moving out of my life. We, we aren't perfect. We, we receive freely grace and mercy and forgiveness when we fail. Absolutely. But there's again, there's this continuous walk towards obedience, toward getting my life in the right position under God. Consecrate yourselves. Get, get your life ready. And Here, here's the other principle. A consecrated life precedes amazing things. You notice how he said it? Consecrate your lives because tomorrow something's going to happen that's going to blow your mind. So get your life ready for that. Make sure your life's ready to receive what God wants to do in our lives. Let's get our hearts real. Let's confess sin. Let's move sin out. Let's move towards obedience so that God is able to do amazing things. And this phrase, amazing things... It doesn't mean like really cool things. Like, man, you're going to love this. This It's going to be a really cool thing that he's going to do. Amazing things means things only God can do you couldn't do by yourself. Let's get our hearts right. Let's get our lives right. So that when God's ready to do God things in our life, we're ready to receive them. Because look, there's a lot of things we can do on our own. We just can't do God things. We can't do supernatural God power. That's amazing, unbelievable. It's not because of us, it's because God chose to do this. Joshua said, Let's get our lives right because God wants to do some really big things in us. Joshua says to the priest, Look, you're going to take up the ark. You're going to walk through the people. You're going to get out front because we're following the presence of God. And then we read, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. And we saw this last week, this kind of elevation of Joshua. like Everybody's starting to look to Joshua. He's starting to act like the leader. People are beginning to accept him. As the leader, God's saying, Joshua, I'm giving you a platform, right? I'm putting you in position, but, but here's, here's the thing. God never raises anyone up for that person. God doesn't say, Joshua, I'm raising you up because you're an awesome dude. I just want everybody to look at you like you're a great leader and you got all these. Like, it's all about you. I'm raising you up because I want people to see you. It's never about the person that he raises up. It's never about the platform that he gives to that person. God gives to people platforms and positions for God's glory and purpose. Not for that person's glory and purpose. He even says it. He says today, Joshua, I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I'm with you. That's the whole end game. That's the purpose. Joshua, I'm raising you up, not so people will look at you, but so that people will go, oh, God's with us. So that people will see me. Your whole point in being the leader is to point people to me, not point people to you. Not not point people to your leadership strategy or or your great communication skills. It's not to point people at you. The whole reason you're getting this platform is so people will be reminded I'm here, I'm God, and they can trust me. Look, in our lives, we're all going to have seasons where we get positions and platforms. All of us are. There are going to be moments when people look at us. There are going to be moments where, where there's just a unique position, there's a unique platform that comes to our lives. And for some of us, it's in front of 1,000 people or 10,000 people. And for some of us, it's in front of one person or two people or five people in our office, three people. And God's going to give us a platform, and the whole reason He's going to give us that moment is so that we'll help point people to Him. Not so we'll point people to us. You're going to get that. You're going to get that opportunity in a conversation where you could point people to the God that loves them, created the universe, redeemed us through His Son, Jesus. You're going to get that moment where you could do that. And that's exactly why you were given the platform. So verse 9, Joshua tells all the people, this is what's going to happen. Priests are gonna get out front. They're gonna carry the Ark of the Covenant. They're gonna walk straight up to the Jordan River. And when their feet hit the water, it's gonna part, and we're going across. He says in verse 10, this is how you will know that the living God is among you. Granted, crossing the Jordan River, <laughs> excuse me, crossing the Jordan River had a, a functional purpose. A practical purpose is get from point A to point B. Right? If God wants us to have the land, we got to get over into the land. So there's this practical purpose for stopping the river and walking across on dry ground. But that wasn't the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose is God wanted us to trust Him. God's saying to the Hebrew people, yeah, it's a practical purpose here. i got to get you across, but that's not the real purpose. The real purpose is I want you to remember this moment, and I want you to trust me. I want you to remember what happened here, and I want you to trust me. I, I want this to be that moment your mind keeps going back to, and you remember that I'm with you. It- it- God didn't want them just to have stories from the past. Right, Because if you remember, their parents and grandparents walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. And they had heard, sto- they'd heard those stories their whole life. Man, God did something. Wow, God showed up. And God's saying to the, the Hebrew children on the edge of the Jordan River, right, you're going to get a story now. You don't have to keep st- telling your parents' story. You don't have to keep telling the story of two generations ago. I'm going to give you a story But it's a story, so you'll trust me. Because here's the reality. Not every day in the promised land was going to be water parting, walk across on dry ground days. They weren't all going to be like that. There's going to be hard days. There there were battles to be won. There there were struggles. And so God gives them this moment so that when the struggles come later on, their mind can go back and they can, know, no, God's with us. I don't know why water's not parting this time, but I know God was with us then. I know God's with us now. And that's why things happen in our life as well. That's why we prayed and we we saw something happen. That's why God provided in a moment when we needed it. Not because check was going to come in the mail every time we needed something, but when we face those times in the future, we would be assured, whatever's happening now, I know God's still with me. Because I remember he was with me before, and he hasn't left. God's here. So the priests get the Ark of the Covenant. And they start walking toward <laughs> the river. Now we're told it's flood season. Probably March, April. Uh, the snows are melting out of the mountains. The water's running into the river. The river's over its banks. Uh, if you've seen pictures of the Jordan River modern day, it was much wider then. Okay, Obviously, today, water is being pulled out for irrigation and all kinds of other sources. And so the river is kind of smaller now. could have been as much as a mile wide, some people think, in certain spots during flood stage. Not only that, it's roaring, like it's moving. And God says to the priest, all right, I, want you to, I want you to step in there. And as soon as their feet hit the water, the river dries. They walk across into the riverbed, the Bible says, on dry ground. Now, the Bible tells us specifically how God performed this miracle. It doesn't always do that. But in this particular miracle, if you read it, it says that God stopped the river at a a place called Adam, which was 15 to 20 miles upriver from where they're crossing. So one of two things happened in this miracle. We're not told this part. Either God stops up the river 20 miles upstream, and then He just sort of miraculously gets rid of the rest of the water at the moment they step in. Or God stops up the river 20 miles upstream, and all of the water flows down past the nation of Israel and the last of the water passes just as the priests step in, which I tend to think it's that one. I tend to think God stops the river, and then the priests don't know it yet, but like the miracle's already flowing downstream. Like the miracle's already coming. All they've got to do is keep stepping in order to intersect the miracle at exactly the time that God intended, which makes me wonder every time I read this story. And what's God sending downstream that we don't know about yet? Like, what has God stopped up, 20 miles up the stream, and all we see is river and current and flowing? But God knows, look, it's on its way. You just got to keep walking. Like, you got to take another step. You got to show up. You got to step forward. You got to keep walking because you don't know it yet, but your steps and what I'm doing are about to intersect. And that may be true in your life. That may be true in my life. It may be true in our church's life. That God's already set it in motion. It's already coming downstream. And we've just got to keep walking and walking and stepping and stepping until God brings the two together in His perfect timing. Now, two two final thoughts. As the Hebrew children are getting ready to cross over, they're entering into a land that's already occupied. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, there's a, there's a, a, a general list of, of people groups that are in the land. And, and, and if the Hebrew children are going to possess the land, they have to displace a large group of people. And it's Memorial Day, and I knew the crowd would be down, so I'm going to deal with it today before everybody gets back, all right? Because this is a hard one for our sensibilities. And, I mean, if you read verse by verse through Joshua, there's some places that just emotionally and, and humanly and our, our sensibilities go, oh, really? God told them to do that. Which is, which is why you gotta, you got to know all of the story. The story didn't start in Joshua 3. The story actually goes back to Genesis 15. God comes to Abram. He's going to change his name to Abraham and says, I'm giving you a land. I just want you to start walking. I'm going to show you where it is. I'm giving you a place. Follow me. You're going to dwell there and then your descendants are, they're going to be in Egypt. Tells him all about slavery. And then they're going to come back one day. And in Genesis 15 verse 16, we find this phrase, for the sin of of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In other words, God already knew these were a people, this was a culture whose heart was set against God that were capable of truly wicked, evil things. And yet, for hundreds of years, God's patience had been with them. God's long so God had been waiting for as many of them who would turn to faith would, giving them time. And there were pockets of people who did respond. We met one of them last week. Rahab responded in, to God's grace, and God received her and brought her out of what was about to happen. I believe God would have done that with anyone within the country who would have turned to Him. But for hundreds of years, God had been waiting. His heart had been patient. And for reasons we may not fully understand, when God's people get back to the land, in Joshua chapter 3, God's patience has been exhausted. The opportunity for the people to turn had passed. And that's hard for us hard for us because we are so aware in our own lives of God's patience and God's long suffering, and that's true nature and character of God, but we also see in the Bible that God is not beholding to any people or nation or group that turns their back on Him. God's God's patience does have a moment where He withdraws, and that's hard But it's what we find in God's Word. And this was the moment, because of their wickedness, that God's patience pulled back. The the larger question for us is, where are we in God's patience? Psalm 95, and then it's repeated in the book of Hebrews, says, Look, today if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't keep saying no to God as if God's just going to hang out forever waiting on you. That's not not the way this works. If God's working on your heart, then say yes today. Step in today. Move forward today. The book of Hebrews in general over in the New Testament. One of its dominant themes is that there there are people... Who are going to hear this message. They're, they're going to hear the Bible. They're going to hear about Jesus. And, and they're going to be interested in it. And even their hearts are going to be stirred up about it. They're going to think, man, maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe I should. I really like what I'm hearing. And, and they're going to stop just short of stepping in the river. They're going to stop just short of saying, yes, I'm going to commit my life. I'm going to trust God By faith. And and all throughout Hebrews, there's this warning don't don't be that person. Don't, Don't let that happen. There are places around the world that hardly, if ever, hear the gospel, that have little or no access to the Bible. They don't hear this message, but Where we are, that's not really our struggle. And I know there are more and more people who are unfamiliar with the Bible and unfamiliar with the stories. And and we've got to introduce people in a loving way to what, what God says. There's more of that, but we live in the Bible Belt. And one of our challenges is people have heard it a lot. And they've been to Christmas, and they've come on Easter, and maybe they were a part of a church for a while, and they've heard it, and they've heard it, and they've heard it, but they've never stepped forward, and they think they know it. But what's happened is they've come right up to the river, and they haven't stepped in. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful. That none of you be found to have fallen short of it. He, he doesn't mean that you didn't work hard enough or you weren't a good enough person. He means like you, you felt it in your heart and you got right up to the point of really trusting Christ by faith and you pull back. Hebrews even uses this imagery of a river flowing by people. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, look, don't let it just flow by in front of you. Get in it. Step in it. Say yes. Step out. I, and I just ask you as we get to the end of chapter three are you standing on the shore? And you've heard it and sort of made sense and you thought about it, but the river's flowing by in front of you and you've never said, Yeah, I'm in. I'm going to trust God. I don't understand everything, but. I believe Christ died for me. I believe He's the only Savior of the world. I'm going to put my faith in Him. Don't stand on the shore and not step in. And and maybe today's that day for you. Maybe today, as as you've listened and, and your church experience, whatever it's been, maybe today's the day that God brought you to a point where you know, I need to do this. I need to stop thinking about it. I need to step in faith. I, I invite you to do that today. I invite you just to tell God that's, that's what you want. You want to trust Him by faith. You, you want to be forgiven of your sins. Just say yes. Did you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I, I want to just give you a moment. I just, I just feel impressed that somebody needs to, to take this step. Somebody needs to stop thinking about everything and just trust Jesus. Not me, but trust Jesus as your Savior. No longer on the banks, but stepping into faith. And if that's you, you you can put that prayer in your own words. You you can pray something like this. You You can just say, God thank you for loving me I know that I've disobeyed you but I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again I don't want to just stand on the shore I want to step in and put my faith in Christ today boy if you you said something like that and you meant it God heard it. Christ has come into your life, and He's never going to leave. God, I I pray for hearts this morning. I think we landed at this spot for a reason today. Because lives need to be changed. Hearts need to be committed to Christ We don't need to stand back and watch anymore. We need to be in. So give courage and boldness to anyone who needs to give their life to you, that today would be the day. God, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for your patience with us, your long-suffering, your waiting. Some of us ran for a long time. But your patience waited God, thank you that you are loving and gracious for of all the miracles that could ever happen, the parting of a sea, the healing of the sick, none compare to spiritual life going from death to life, lost to found, separated from God, part of God's family. There's no greater miracle in all the world. And I pray this morning that miracles happen for someone. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, committed your life to Christ today, or, or you're struggling. If you're struggling, I, I'd love to talk to you after the service. i got time. I've got time. I'd love to just pray with you and talk with you. Maybe you prayed this morning uh, on that card that you, you filled out In the service, there's a place at the bottom to say, I committed my life to Christ today. Give us a way to contact you. I'd love to celebrate that. Maybe talk with you about baptism. Let us know. See me after the service. I invite our ushers to come forward and we'll worship God in our giving. If you fill out the card, hopefully everybody has. As the buckets come by, (laughs) just drop it. Drop it in the bucket. If God uh, put it on your heart to give today. Thank you. Thank you. we got so many great things coming up in June. Our, our kids camp, youth camp is in June. We're serving at Fish in Monroe. Uh, we're supporting Safe House Ministry in Atlanta and, and Shepherd Staff in Loganville. And all of that's possible because you are so faithful to give. And so thank you, thank you. Thank you for supporting the ministry here. God, help us to give well, to honor you well. God, you've poured such goodness into our life. We're so thankful for that. May you be honored now in this time of worship as we give to you. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.